as in 165, um, chapter 12 says. I must, go on bo I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who for, for 14 years ago was caught up on the third heaven. Whether it was in body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man did not permit to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weakness. Even if I should boast to boast about myself, even if I should boast to boast, I will not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But I ref refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I say or do to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations. There was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weakness. It results in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks so much, Sophie. Uh, let me add my own welcome to Emmanuel this evening. My name's Tom. I'm the vicar here. Particularly welcome if you're new. Uh, you've come on a great evening. I'd love to introduce to you Andy Robinson, our speaker for this evening. Um, Andy is a great man. He's been with us for the day. We've been working him hard. Andy, thank you so much for <laughs> joining us. Um, and Andy uh, led a wonderful church in Oxford, Woody Road Baptist, for many years. Uh, he now works training people for ministry part-time and also part-time with a charity called Living Out, which helps people and churches to have conversations about sexuality and about faith. Uh, and I've actually invited Andy twice. I've invited him uh, to speak to us today, and he'll be coming back with a couple of others in March. Uh, the details are on your newsletters, but I'd encourage you to save the date, Saturday the 16th of March, uh, that Saturday morning, Andy and a couple of others will be coming and leading us in a little conference, and we'd, um, we'd love to invite everyone to come and join us at that. Uh, but for tonight, he's bringing us God's word from 2 Corinthians 12, and let's pray for him as he does that. So Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that your word is living and active. We thank you that your word speaks we thank you that through your word, we encounter Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts to receive from your word this evening as we sit under it together. Uh, we thank you for Andy. We thank you for his love for you and his love for us. We thank you for uh, his time being with us this evening. We pray that you would fill him with your spirit to speak your word clearly. And that as he speaks, that each one of us might come to know you better. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Andy, thanks so much. Great. Really good to, uh, well, I was going to say sort of see you. I think you're out there, aren't you? But really good to, uh, to be with you. Actually, I've loved being with the Emmanuel family uh, today. So thank you so much for uh, having me. Uh, let me tell you a little bit of my story. Uh, Tom's mentioned that I work for this group, Living Out, which speaks about faith and sexuality. To be honest, spending two days a week sort of earning a living talking about faith and sexuality is quite a weird way uh, to do life. So let me explain why I do. Uh, I had the privilege 
uh, of being uh, born with, uh, Christian parents being born uh, into a Christian family. I had the misfortune of being born age 40. What I mean by that was basically I always wanted to be an adult and I hated being a kid. And that meant for the first few years of life, I hated church because, you know, they tried to get us as seven-year-olds doing action songs and memory verses, and I wanted to be an adult, and I hated it. Until the age of 12, and two or three things happened, and it dawned on me that the God I'd heard about was real, and I didn't know him, and I needed to. And I actually remember the evening hearing about Jesus and just a powerful sense of the Holy Spirit working in my heart such that I needed to follow him. And that happened when I was 12, about, I don't know, six months or so later. Like most human beings started to develop romantic feelings, sexual attractions, and so on. And this wasn't something that I chose, but I discovered those as a teenager were going towards boys rather than girls. 30 years on, they go towards men rather than women. That wasn't something I chose. That's simply the experience that I've had. And so in many ways, for 30 years, one of the big issues in my life has been this. I'm attracted to people of the same sex. I want to live for Jesus. How do you put those things together? And if you want to know the answer to that, come to the Living Out Day in March. Because what I want to do tonight is not so much speak into the issue of sexuality, so much as deal with this question. The question that I guess I've wrestled with for 30 years, how do you live with something that you haven't chosen, but is a reality for you? Because I can guarantee around the room, that will be the case for different people in a whole heap of different ways. Might be for some of us, family is a painful topic. Might be for some of us, actually, we wrestle in the whole question of gender. For some, it will be just wishing our personality was slightly different. Maybe loneliness is something we face. Maybe for some, it's a medical issue or just a mental health issue. But there's something that we face in life that is painful, we wish weren't there. And we've got to work out, how do you handle it? Or to use a phrase in 2 Corinthians 12, it's a thorn in our flesh. It's something that hurts. And maybe that thing that you're thinking about, as I mentioned the phrase thorn in the flesh, for some of us occasionally it will feel a bit of a scratch. For other times it will feel like somebody is thrusting it hard into us and it hurts. How do you deal with thorns? How do you deal with things in life that are real, that hurt, and you don't know what to do about them? Because actually any approach to life needs to face up to the fact that life in this world is not always easy and is sometimes painful. You know, for those of us who are Christians, does our Christian faith enable us to face up to thorns? Or for those of us, if you're here and you're looking into Christianity, that's great. Maybe does your approach to life at the moment have a way of dealing with stuff that's painful? The passage that was read to us, 2 Corinthians 12, I remember it probably about 30 years ago, changing my life as I wrestle with my sexuality. And my hope is, at least for some of us, God might do that same work in us tonight. Because let me take you to Corinth. This is the, uh, the church that Paul was writing to. Uh, and this is the church that Paul planted. He went to Corinth, actually he tells us he went to Corinth scared stiff. And he gets to Corinth and he begins to tell people about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit does a work and a church begins to pop up. 
And after a while, he leaves Corinth and I think ends up visiting them once more and writes a couple of letters. And it's probably fair to say that the relationship between Paul and the church in Corinth is a bit bumpy. And by the time we get to 2 Corinthians, there's a new set of leaders arrived. And these new set of leaders, they are awesome. They speak brilliantly. Yeah, they just tell jokes in the right place and they get the right emotion and they can charge loads of money and people are desperate to hear them. They've got really strong personalities. They've had great experience of God. They've got a great family background and they probably look like Ace as well. These guys are amazing. And they're beginning to say, you know, Paul, the guy who set you up, Oh, you can ignore him. Just get rid of him. You know, he's, he's a bit pathetic, Paul, isn't he? And this letter to Corinthians is essentially Paul writing to say, here's why you should still listen to me. Not because he's in it for his own ego, but he's concerned these leaders are beginning to take people away from Jesus. And so in 2 Corinthians 11 particularly, he kind of starts to defend himself. And he kind of says, if they've got a good background, yeah, I have as well. All right, they may be better speakers than me, but I've got more knowledge than them. And he, he kind of ends up sort of boasting to try and match them, but he keeps dropping in, going, oh boy, I'm a fool to talk like this. He kind of has to say it because he wants them to look to him because he's pointing them to the true Jesus. But he also says, I just hate the fact that I'm kind of talking about myself. And in chapter 12, he gets on to spiritual experiences. And he talks about this man, and it's him, who's had a profound experience of God. He's caught up to the third heaven, he says. He's had a profound experience of God. But he's also kind of embarrassed about talking about it. He says, I know a man. Have you ever been in that situation where you've got an issue, but you're a bit embarrassed about it? So you say to somebody, I've got this friend. Well, that's kind of what Paul's doing here. You know, this man who was up into the third heaven, he said, that was kind of me. But he says, I don't want you to focus on that. Because actually Paul is going to say, it isn't the fact that I've had these great experiences, it isn't the fact that I've got a great background, it isn't the fact that I've got this great knowledge. None of those things are the reason you should listen to me. The reason you should listen to me is actually more to do with my thorn in the flesh. And so he moves on from these great experiences to say, let me tell you about my thorn. And I want to talk about three things relatively quickly. We're going to think about the thorn, the purpose of the thorn, and the promise that comes with the thorn. And my hope as we talk with this, that all of you will have stuff in your mind, stuff perhaps that's painful for us. And God's going to minister his comfort into those areas because Paul says there was given me a thorn in the flesh and it's described as a messenger of Satan so maybe it's something God is uh, Satan's trying to use to stop Paul and it's clearly painful because three times Paul goes to God and says Lord take this away from me Lord it's too hard take it away from me Lord please get rid of this from my life we don't know what it is. Maybe it is a, a sort of painful physical situation. Possibly it's a kind of relational conflict, somebody who's just opposing Paul and that really hurts. 
may even be something more emotional. But we know it's big, and we know that he's desperate to get rid of it. I'll never forget as a 20-year-old, you know, growing up knowing I was attracted to people of the same sex, and that was quite different actually 25 years ago. And I remember some of the pain of it. Lord, Lord, you know, I'd love to get married and have kids. And Paul prayed three times. I think I prayed at 333 times. Lord, won't you take this away from me? Lord, won't you change this? And my guess is around the room, there will be situations in your life where, again, maybe 333 times you said, Lord, please make this different. Please take this away from me. And yet what happens is not what Paul expects. Because Paul is, as I say, pleading with God, this thing that's hurting, won't you take it from me? And God doesn't say what Paul expects him to say. God says this, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And sometimes God does change things dramatically, and sometimes he changes circumstances that are painful, but sometimes God says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm actually going to leave you with that painful thing, but I'm going to do a deeper work, even as you still live with it. Because here's the thing we need to know this evening. There are certain things that you can only learn with a thorn. There are certain things about God, certain things about loving others, that you can only know and do if you have something painful in your life. Because that's kind of what 2 Corinthians is all about, actually. 2 Corinthians is all about these leaders saying, hey, we're, we're superb, we're massively powerful in the way we speak. And Paul says, no, no, don't look for a leader like that. Look for one who is weak and has to depend on the Lord's. Because you think about how Paul starts the letter back in 2 Corinthians 1. Now, I have to be honest, if I were Paul and I'd planted the church in Corinth and there were leaders who'd come in and saying, get rid of Paul, here's how I would start 2 Corinthians. Dear Corinthians, the church that I planted, have I ever told you about the road to Damascus and how God commissioned me can I give you a list of all the churches I've planted? Have I told you, by the way, how in Ephesus people were healed just by touching my hankies? That's how I would start 2 Corinthians. And Paul starts 2 Corinthians by saying, Praise be to the God of all comfort, the Father of compassion, who comforts us in all our troubles. And actually later on in chapter 1, Paul says, We were so weak that we despaired of life and had to depend on God. Because can I say, the only way you get to discover that God is the God of comfort is when you need it. Actually, when life is going smoothly, it's quite hard to discover that God's the God of all comfort and the Father of compassion. It's only if you've got a thorn that you discover that. It's actually the thorn that presses you more deeply into God. 
And he goes on actually in chapter one and talks about the, the God who comforts us so that we can comfort others with the comfort we've received. You know who are, to be honest, a real nightmare when I'm going through a hard time? Christians who think life is easy. They're a real pain. I don't know about you, if I'm going through a hard time, what I need is a Christian who's gone through a hard time and has known God's comfort in the midst of it. And actually, it's as you have a thorn that you learn that God is the God of all comfort. It's as you have a thorn that you're in a better place to comfort others. Funnily enough, in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, it's as you have a thorn that you become more like Jesus himself. We carry around in our body the death of Jesus that the life of Jesus might be revealed. Can I ask, if we follow a crucified saviour, which we do, it would be quite strange if we expected life to be smooth all the time. We have a thorn in the flesh because we follow the one who had a crown of thorns. And actually so often we end up looking more like him as we go through hardship, but we keep trusting him. Or here in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says, to keep me from becoming conceited. In other words, Paul is saying, you know, I've had this great experience of God, I've been caught up to the third heaven, but God doesn't want me going around saying, hey, look at me, I've been caught up to the third heaven. No, God wants to use somebody who says, Lord, I need you. I need you, I'm dependent on you, I'm weak and I need you. And all the way through, Paul is saying there are reasons why I've been given a thorn. You see, imagine with me, if you will, super Christian. Super Christian never gets tired. Super Christian never works through emotional difficulties. Super Christian has perfect health. Super Christian has always got a smile on their face. And after a while, everybody thinks, wow, isn't Super Christian amazing? And Super Christian begins to think, yeah, I am. And God doesn't work that way. He doesn't use Super Christians who uses Christians who are weak and who need him and who've discovered him to be the God of all comfort as they've been pressed into him and they've found a way to help others and they've been kept humble. And Paul says, there's a purpose to my thorn. He says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. It's when I have to live with things I wouldn't have chosen, things that I find painful, as I have to cry out to God, that's actually the moment of strength for me. When I'm more useful to the Lord and I know Him better. Can you begin to see why this passage changed my life 25 years ago? Yeah, there I was praying, please, Lord, won't you change my sexuality? Won't you enable me to go off and get married and stuff? I remember hearing this sermon. It was as though the Lord was saying to me directly, actually, I'm not going to change that. Rather, I'm going to leave you with that situation and press you more deeply into me. I'm going to leave you in that situation. And actually, this will be the thing that may be used to help others. I'll leave you with this thing and actually call you to live a, a celibate life, but, 
one that pleases me. But it's not about me. This will be the same for some of us as well. It might be the situations you'd hoped God would change and he hasn't. And it might be tonight what he's saying to you is, I've got purposes in that. I've got purposes to drive you towards me so that you'll know me in a deeper way than you would ever have known before. I've got purposes in that because I'm going to use that so that in times to come you can comfort others and be a blessing to them. You see, the distinctive of a Christian who suffers, it isn't that Christian suffering doesn't hurt. I'm sure this thorn in the flesh was still painful to Paul. It's just that the Christian can always say, but in the midst of suffering, yeah, this is deeply painful. But I'm getting to know God as the God of all comfort better than I ever knew him before. This is deeply painful, but over the years I've begun to find that God has used my experience to help others. Oh, this is deeply painful, but probably if I'd had an easy life, it would have been far easier for me to leave the Lord behind. There's reasons why I swear in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about his life and says, sorrowful. And don't you love the realism of that? Sometimes, let's be honest, the Christian life can feel sorrowful. Sorrowful, but always rejoicing. There's always a but. There's always something to cling to. There's always a sense that God has got purposes in this. One of the strangest experiences in my life was um, about 15 years ago now, I uh, went out to Kenya. And went to Kenya and was asked to speak at a conference for pastors in the, the slum area of Kibera, the biggest slum area in Nairobi. and was asked to speak on suffering. Now, this was a really silly idea. Whoever thought of somebody in their late 20s from Britain, I was the guy to speak to a load of pastors about suffering in a slum area. Frankly, it was crazy. And the thing that rectified it to be honest, the thing that actually made it a vaguely useful conference, I did my stuff on, actually was on 2 Corinthians. And then a wise Kenyan pastor stood up. And he looked at these guys, many of whom had gone through really tough times. And he says, I'm going to ask you to do something really hard now. I want to think, ask you to think about those hard times. And I want to get you to thank God for the good he's brought into your life through them. And I know even saying that, might, some of you might think, how? And yet, in a sense, that's what Paul kind of ends up doing here, isn't it? That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Almost saying, I've got to the point where I can even thank God for the, the good that this thorn in the flesh has done me. Because it's driven me to God in a deeper way than would ever have been the case. There's a purpose to the thorn. It's why, to be honest, pretty much every church leader I know has got a thorn because every church leader needs to learn they depend on God. 
And that's why, if I'm honest, as I've chatted to people and friends who've got their own thorn, it's probably slightly changed the way I pray. Yeah, because in those situations, I end up praying, Lord, won't you do one of two things? Lord, Lord, please take it away from them. It's not wrong to pray that. Please take it away from them. Or if you're not going to do that, give them a confidence that you've got purposes in it. Please won't you do one of those two things? Because there's a purpose to the thorn. And it might even be what God wants to do amongst us tonight is those things we wouldn't have chosen. He wants to teach us to trust that he's got good reasons for them. Even if it's just to give us a a deeper knowledge of his comfort and his compassion and to make us more like Jesus. But of course, it's not just that there's a purpose for the thorn. Do you notice there's a promise that comes with the thorn? Because God doesn't just say, no, I'm not going to take it away. He says this, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul, you may well have to live with this thorn for the rest of your life. But my grace will be enough for you. What is that grace? Probably a word we just throw around a little bit. Just a few chapters earlier, Paul talks about the grace of the Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And that grace is the generosity of Jesus. The generosity of Jesus that took him from heaven to the agony of Bethlehem. The sheer generosity of Jesus, his love for us, his kindness towards us. And God is saying to Paul, look, you may well face pain day by day, but what you will also experience is my kindness and generosity to you being poured into your hearts. And that will be enough to keep you going. I will be enough for you. I was a church leader and left the church that I pastored about six months ago. Uh, and on my final Sunday there, they, they did sort of after lunch, kind of half hour interview, and one of my colleagues in the leadership team did it. And to be honest, he asked a final question, which I kind of wish he hadn't asked because I cried in response to it. But he asked me this question, look, Andy, you've been at the church 25 years. What would you say to your younger self? What would you say to you 25 years ago? I want to stop crying. What I said was this. I'd say to my younger self, God has promised that his grace will be enough for you. And it will be. And it will be. Looking out, some of you are older than me. And my guess is during those years, there will have been stuff you found pretty painful. And yet what I always love about being in a church is knowing as I look at folk older than me, they will have gone through stuff that is painful and yet they're still here praising Jesus. Why? Because God's grace has been enough. Many of you tonight are younger than me. But my guess is even for those who are younger than me, you will already have found that life isn't always 
smooth. And I want to make this promise to you. I can't promise the future is pain-free. I can't promise that. I can promise God's grace will be sufficient. And God's grace will be enough. And his kindness and his generosity won't leave you. And you can trust him. Because to be honest, what this passage is doing is answering this question. What's the right dream we should have for life? Let's be honest, for many of us, it's easy to have this dream for life. Basically, we want nice family, nice house, nice church, nice job, nice health, with a little bit of Jesus thrown in. And 2 Corinthians is saying, no, no, no. The right dream is knowing God in a deeper way than you've ever known him before. And the right dream is being able to help and comfort and encourage others. But to be honest, often to get there, you won't always have nice house, nice family, nice church, nice job and nice health. Because it's sometimes as God allows difficulty into those areas, that's the way we'll get to depend on him and know him more. And that's the way he'll enable us to comfort others. So can I say, as you think about your thorn, whatever it is that came to mind when I mentioned that phrase, can I plead with you for two things tonight? Don't resent it. Don't resent it because it might be the very thing God uses most deeply in your life. And trust God's grace will be enough for you in it. I always found moving, some of you won't have seen these because you're too young actually, but I always found moving seeing those D-Day commemorations years back, you know, 50th anniversary, 60th anniversary, and you'd, you'd see the veterans in their old age, and there they were, and often they'd, I guess, be talking about the battles they'd fought, and the wounds and the scars they'd received. And ultimately, I guess, the victory and the freedom that was won. And the reason I always found that moving was I was thinking, actually, I'm seeing a picture of heaven, seeing a picture of the new creation here. Because one day, there'll be a group of Christians and we'll be talking about the wounds we experienced and the battles we fought. And then we'll say, we're here because his grace has been enough for us. And that's what it would be like. And then our eyes will turn to the one who's got the crown of thorns, the one who knows what suffering is ultimately all about. So until then, keep going. Trust God's grace. My grace, God says, will be sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. Let's pray. Just give us a moment of quiet. It might be the stuff we want to say to Jesus. We just want to do business with him now. So I'm going to just give a moment of quiet as we talk to the Lord.
Father, we want to bring ourselves to you. Lord, we want to be honest with you. Lord, probably for all of us in different ways, as we think about our thorns, we just want to be honest with you and say, Lord, at times they hurt so much. Lord, we didn't choose them. And Lord, at times we struggle to understand why you don't always remove them. And Lord, at times we hurt. But Lord, we also want to learn what it is to be sorrowful yet rejoicing. And so Father, please help us. Please help us not to resent those things that drive us to you. But to trust that you've got good purposes in them. And Lord, please, won't you do what you've promised? Won't your love and your kindness and your generosity be enough for us, we pray? Until the day when we see you and you wipe every tear from our eyes. Keep us trusting till that day, we pray for your name's sake. Amen.